Welcome aboard, everybody. This is Andrea, your favorite lady, and I'm here with Lou Landers. How are you, Lou? I am good, Andrea. Just a little upset, as we were talking about before we got on the air here, about uh, how that Yankees-Red Sox game ended yesterday. But as I was telling you, one of us is going to be happy to this morning, one of us was going to be upset. So. I think we both have a right to be upset in a couple different ways, right? So, like, um, for obviously, I don't think that either of the managers made good decisions when it came to, like, what to do about – they both need to figure out what an effector is. And I'm really quite – uh, surprised that John Farrell, because he used to be the Red Sox pitching coach, why he's not smarter when it comes to this kind of thing. But Sale was doing awesome, right? We were happy. I think I talked to you last night or sent you a message in Facebook saying that your boy Montgomery is pitching well. So, you know, that was that. The, pretty much not a lot happened until late in the game. And then Matt Barnes, the Red Sox – well, first of all, Sale struck out 12. There's nobody that compares to Sale. Like, he's he's pretty much the king of pitching this year in baseball. Like, right? I mean, we can agree on that. We can agree on that. Only Corey Kluber even comes close, and I don't think you can even compare that. He struck out 12, and he – somebody – I think it was a home run or – no, it was a single. He let, he let a hit go through and a run scored on him. So then – John Farrell has brilliant ideas to put in Matt Barnes. And, I mean, it just goes on and on. There was three different closers in there when they should have used their effector in, in Craig Kimbrell. When they have an effector in Craig Kimbrell, and on your side, it, I mean, I'm that the way that game turned out was a total crapshoot. It was based on luck, and it wasn't. A, I don't think it was based on any kind of good decisions. Well, neither closer was used properly, if right. you want to call them closers. So you they're got both, Chapman on the other both, side. Yeah. Chapman comes in, and he's stellar. I mean, did you see him, the way that he took care of Hanley Ramirez was uh, unbelievable. It was exactly what you look for in Chapman and exactly why they paid him the big bucks to come there. I mean, he 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 was he struck out swinging, right? And he didn't even come close. It's just he, he, he had his stuff perfect, looked great. And then all of a sudden um, – they put him back in. To the, they put him back in the game in the tenth inning. When this is a guy that all year it's like, oh well, the Cubbies overused him in the World Series because they knew they were going to get rid of him, and you know they they made him pitch for more than three outs. God forbid. And last night they decided. And and mind you, the Yankees bullpen is solid. It is deep. Like. I own a couple of these relievers on my Tout Wars team because I'm pretty much done with starters. Like, I'm just trying to keep my ERA down and my K per nine down up. And uh, there's plenty of options for the Yankees. I mean, even if you don't want to rely on Dylan Batances, who's been much better lately, but walks a shitload of batters. And so you got, I mean, but the the depth is there. We don't have to really name off players, right? Pitchers, we know the well, depth. Yeah, but is to me, to me, if they were going to bring in Conley anyway to relieve Chapman once he'd gone to trouble in the 10th why not just have him start the inning because he can't hang he's only been used more than three outs one time this season one time oh I know exactly so why not just have Conley start the inning right and not even bother with it especially when he gives he up a home run it. didn't he give up a home run and he came back in after that yes exactly it was it was the home run to Devers which wasn't even a bad pitch I mean it was like 100 203 miles per hour up in the zone Devers just put a really smart defensive swing on it, and the ball sailed out of the ballpark. But even after, just after the ninth inning, just they should have just been happy that they were still tied, at least, and the Chapman didn't blow up after that home run. 
putting him in again after already having the whole, given up the home run. As you've mentioned, he has not proven he can go more than three outs. He just did not have his command in the 10th inning. Even at his best, he can go for three outs, okay? That, you know, all I know is that the Yankees, I mean, if they were in a situation where they used their bullpen or if they really needed him to, like, either way, he just given up a home run. So it doesn't really matter who he is. He just gave up a home run, and now you're going to have him come back in the 10th inning when you have guys that are perfectly capable of uh, getting a few outs. Either way, that were, that. That wasn't really like the biggest, I don't know, I was annoyed at the other side of things where John Farrell didn't seem to know what was going on with um, walking out. Like, how do you not know? You know that you can only have one manager take a trip to the mound and talk to the guy. I mean, when, since when did that become like cloudy? Yeah, that was a bit of a, uh, that was a bit of a puzzler there to me that he um, just forgot that he had sent his pitching coach out. So I the. Mean, then he puts if, in. If, if you were gonna, my my question is, if you were going to bring in Kimbrel, if Reed fell behind the next hitter, because all he did was fall behind one and zero, right? If you were gonna bring him in, if he fell behind, why not just bring him in to start the hitter? Okay, first of all, who the hell is Robbie Scott? I'm like, Lenny, who's Robbie Scott? I don't even know who this guy is. Maybe I'm just not. Um paying that much attention to the Red Sox, but honestly, I didn't know, and that's the truth. So I said to Lenny, who's Robbie Scott? He said, I don't even know. And then after that, you put in Addison Reed when you have, like, the best closer in baseball to take care of business, and you just don't do it. You decide to play your freaking Addison Reed, who is not reliable by any sense of the word. And, of course, Addison Reed comes in and, and walks the first batter that he faces. And then, like, what was, what was Girardi thinking, though, putting Ellsbury – wait a minute, so – I'm kind of confused as to what happened here. Torius went into bunt, and all of a sudden, Jacoby Ellsbury is coming in the game. What that? What was that all about? So that was because uh, Austin Romine was a scheduled hitter, and Romine's really only there for his defense behind the plate. So I guess the thought is bringing Ellsbury, try and get that single and win the ball game with Hadley on second. Okay, but didn't they get an out? They. they Mm, okay, well, that was They sacrificed, wasn't... yeah, they sacrificed the one out. Right. So Hedley walked, Torres bunted him over to scoring position, and then Girardi figures, okay, Ellsbury and Gardner both coming up back-to-back. -back. One of them gets a hit, we win the ball game. Clearly, neither of them got a hit. Oh, and, please, one of them um, gets a hit. So you give up an out to get to hope that you might get a hit from two guys. Well, Gardner's having a decent season, but Ellsbury is uh, – I don't think he's having any kind of. Uh, basically, Ellsbury he should just started. retire, dude. He we needs to retire. About this last week, Andrea, we talked about this last week when Lenny joined us, and Lenny said that Ellsbury's going to come and have um, success, and that he's going to play a lot. He's only playing right now because the Yankees are have that revolving door at DH. So to me, Ellsbury's garbage. I would I'm comfortable with Gardner, Hicks, and Judge pretty much every day, despite Judge's struggles. Um, I think the Yankees have to rid themselves of Ellsbury despite that large contract at season's end. You've seen other teams do it. The Reds also like to do it with Pablo Sandoval. I'm not sure why the Yankees even have Ellsbury around anymore. So I know that they're trying to limit Montgomery's innings and all of this, right? And they're, they're, I think they're going about it probably in the right way because they're limiting his pitches. Uh, or I think they're limiting his pitches rather than his innings. But either way, the last time he pitched – um, he didn't even stay in long enough to get a win. He threw 65 pitches, and they yanked him, right? So even if you have a deep bullpen, you're still just taxing your guys, you know? Um, when you don't let – because their rotation is not 
anything to, you know, <laughs> talk about, really. So they got this Montgomery. I get the fact that they're trying to limit his innings. But when, since when did the Yankees decide that they were going to be kind of a team that, um, you know, when they're on – they're trying to get into the playoffs right now. They, their playoff berth is on the line. So I've never known them to like put some pitchers innings limits. The guy pitched 120 innings or I don't know, was it a hundred and pitched in the low hundreds last season. So they don't want to like double his innings. They're trying to keep it to 180. Well, what the hell? What's the difference? 180, 200. It's all the same to the Yankees management. I thought, well, even forget forget about the overall innings limit. If you want to put him on it, fine. But as you mentioned, their rotation's in a bit of a mess right now, especially with CC out, Tanaka out, um, and Pineda obviously has been out and will be out. So that's three of their starters from the beginning of the season. Um, the way Montgomery has pitched, usually he's been pretty good. If he's pitching well, I'm not concerned about what they're going to do three weeks from now. I'm concerned about winning the ball game that they're currently playing. God take it one day at a time. And by taking him out, you're hurting your chances of winning that game. You're taxing the bullpen. And I think it's, I think it's stupid beyond stupid. So I tried to upload the clip from, you know, Vic DiBattetto. I'm, I'm always sending these videos to Lou because Lou's a Yankee fan and Vic DiBattetto is on YouTube. He's a comedian and he does the Yankees locker room. And so it's a skit that he does. And depending on whatever they did, he comes out into the locker room and he gives the, the daily lineup and he either curses them out or he, you know, praises what they've done for, from the night before. And I have to say like his videos are hilarious and every team needs one of these guys because he's so just passionate. It's just entertainment at its best. So I have to say, though, that his videos are much funnier when the Yankees are not doing well. And the last time that um, Montgomery came out and threw 65 pitches, this is how I knew that he only threw 65 pitches because Vic was going off about how, you know, this is ridiculous. He's asking for a complete game. If the guy is pitching well, if it's not broken, don't fix it, you know, in that Brooklyn accent. And it's just really, really entertaining. I, I couldn't figure out how to upload it to Mixler, so... Um, there's that. But anyway, anybody that's listening, you should go check him out. He's hilarious. Every team needs him. And I don't think that you saw the last one when he was going off, but he actually did a press conference in this one. So the press conferences are like, um, <laughs> well, you guys know what a press conference is. They're a little bit longer than the Yankees locker room, and they're just, they're, they're real good. So that one was funny, and I'll have to send it to you. He's, he, you can just feel his pain, though. It's like, what the hell? You're staying out there. If you're pitching well, you're staying out there. This four innings, you know, from your starter is just, I get that you want to limit his innings, but come on, you're trying to make the playoffs. And he's relatively, it's not like he just crashes when he gets to the fifth inning like uh, Brad Peacock does. It's not like that. Well, you're also not just trying to make the playoffs. You're facing the one team that you need to beat more than any other team right now in the Red Sox. And your biggest foe. Yeah, exactly. A team that if they win that game yesterday, it's three and a half. Now it's five and a half. Like that was a big swing game yesterday too. Yeah. Yeah, those count a lot. So let's talk about some – we're going to talk a little bit about the playoff race. And it's pretty cool. What There's so many things going on in baseball this year that's just not average. Like, there's so many home runs being hit, more than ever. Um, there's a couple – look at these Angels and look at these Cardinals. Like, what? At the trade deadline, we were just totally ru- ruling them out as sellers because neither team had a chance in hell of getting – of competing this year. And I remember, like – 
the angels weren't that surprising because the angels don't have anything to trade away anyways like they just they're a team that isn't going to be good for the next five or six years and and that's if they like start rebuilding now but they have nothing to rebuild with so the angels weren't they were they weren't even in my mindset for a you know competing for a wild card but the cardinals they're hard to rule out because the cardinal way and just you know you're used to them fighting until the end and the cardinals um they won eight in a row and they are tied basically virtually tied with the cubbies for um the playoffs. yeah they're tied for the uh they're, I believe they're they're technically a game out, but they are tied in the wins column. They have two more losses, so they're technically a game out um, of the Cubs in that division. But they play each other seven times in September: three in Chicago and four in St. Louis. Right. So there is so regardless of what the lead is, if it, if it goes to two or three games for one of these teams, it's going to come down to them being head to head. And I think you said it best: it's, you can't really count out this Cardinals ball club, and it's weird because. When they lost Reyes before the season, you're like, okay, this pitching staff's in trouble. They've had terrible seasons from guys like Piscotti and Grichik. Um, Dude, Orko are you kidding? And Carpenter hasn't haven't been what they were last year. And if it weren't for guys like Tommy Pham and Paul DeJong, who knows where they'd be right now? Yeah, so these guys weren't even ranked. I mean, the guys that we were expecting to have good seasons are both in AAA right now, Piscotti and Diaz, and neither one of them came around. The most home runs of any player on this team is Paul DeJong. He's got like 18 homers, I think. Let me check it out here. I have their hitting stats pulled up. 18 home runs. He's got the most of anybody on the team, right? So nobody's like uh, hitting for that much power and all. They, it's amazing that they've just – dug in and you kind of have to want to root for them you know their pitching staff they had guys like Lance Lynn Michael Waka um, they had Rosenthal to step back into the closer role when our buddy O just couldn't I don't even know what happened to that guy is he still around <laughs> I don't even know he's, he's somewhere in that bullpen and you mentioned what about um, Mike Leak has been good um, obviously Carlos Martinez hasn't been as consistent as you'd like but he's still been great They've and got all five of their starters have started more than 20 games. And that's like rare to see in baseball. Usually a team goes, you know, the the rotation that they enter the season with is never the same rotation that they they end the season with, you know. So they have all all five of their starters have pitched have started more than 20 games. And that's pretty there, there's something to be said about that even you know, even though Adam That's rare. Yeah. Always, especially this year with all the injuries. Let me talk about the Angels here for a second. So you brought them up. Yeah. It's funny because I made a bold prediction on Facebook before the season even started saying the Angels were going to contend for a wild card spot. I'm not even sure that I really believed it myself. It was more, let's say something bold, and if it happens, I look like a genius. And if it doesn't, well, no one expected it to. But now you look at them, they have a wild card spot right now. Um, They've been without Garrett Richards for most of the season. They played without Trout and Cameron Maven for extended periods of time. And you look at their rotation on paper, it's a complete mess. I mean, Parker Bridwell's been really good for them. But then you look at J.C. Ramirez, Ricky Nolasco. Are you kidding me? Yeah. How on earth are they playing this well? So Parker didn't even come until June, I think. He that's when he he wasn't in their top prospects either. Total surprise when he got traded to them, he still wasn't showing up in their top ten prospects. So he kind of came out of nowhere. But he's got a three oh three ERA with seven wins and eleven starts. And then you look at Nolasco, dude, with a five two four ERA. Okay, he's given up. 
Uh, I think he's given up the most home runs of any starter in baseball, 30. J.C. Ramirez, he's like, I mean, this is a guy that you could pretty much replace any week off, you know, if you wanted to stream a pitcher. This is the kind of guy that you pick up and stream for a minute and then throw away. That's the totally league average, you know. Jesse Chavez, um, he's worse than Alaska, so do we even need to go there? And Tyler Skaggs, he's made seven starts, so. And to, on top of it, Andrea, they lost Shoemaker a while ago, who's out for the year. Alex Mayer, who was at least doing better than Velasco and Chavez, has been out now on the DL. Like they're ha- most of their pitching staff, or at least their rotation, has been injured, and the guys who are the guys you don't want in your rotation have been there, and somehow they're still winning ball games. And maybe, maybe it's because every other team that's vying for one of those wild card spots has a ton of flaws. Yeah, they, yeah suck. they all have flaws. Yeah. So because so, of that, it opens the door for them. But also, you look at um, Mike Trout is obviously the best player on the team. In fact, most people just figured he was kind of the after Pujols stopped playing well, because it, you know you try to figure out what it is about these uh, Angels that is keeping them going, and one of them is the fact that the American League kind of sucks. I mean. Uh, especially the American League West, except for Houston, but still Houston's not. Either way, they fought their way into a wild card spot here, and it's pretty interesting. They don't. They have Anderson Simmons, who, you know, I have on a fantasy team, and I think he's a much better player in real life than he is in fantasy. But he steals bases, he hits home runs, he is the best defender, and this is how the Angels win. This is what I've come down to conclude: is that the Angels win based on defense. They have to because there's absolutely nothing saying in their pitching or their hitting that can jump out at you and say that this is a good team on paper. It's got to be their defense and. The the closing situation is interesting, too, because they had Bud Norris in there. He was doing fine. All of a sudden, Bud Norris, he's giving up multiple runs. Like, in in his last eight starts, he's given up multiple runs in four of them. So, um, Well, now it's – who is it? It's Petit, no, Middleton. Bedrosian and – Bedrosian. And I mean, Blake Parker. Yesterday, Kenyon Middleton got a save. That was his second save. And according to Rotowire and like the reports out there, this guy is that's like a rare save, and you're not gonna don't get too used to it, and all this. But it makes you wonder because I think I saw something like, oh, we didn't want to use Cam Bedrosian two days in a row because. Are you kidding me? Because he's that weak. Because you're that weak as a closer. You're just that weak. It's so ridiculous. I can't believe. And then, I mean, I, I'm probably more annoyed because I'm a fantasy owner and I threw Cam Bedrosian away like a couple weeks ago. Now all of a sudden he's the closer again. And I'm just livid at the fact that I have to spend like the rest of my fab money getting this fool back. And I don't even know if he's going to be healthy through one save. <laughs> yeah, I you know what. I share that same with you I had Norris and Bedrosian and it's one of those leagues where it's auction so it's based on cap and I've been buying this year because I'm in first place so I actually got rid of Bedrosian more so because he's three dollars more expensive than Norris and I was really close to my cap so now not only do I have to spend money if I want Bedrosian back but I'm going to have to make another move just to be able to afford it. So I'm furious. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty maddening because you're down to, like, dollars left, you know, and you're trying to figure out, like, how how much do the other teams that are surrounding you in the standings, like, wh- how much money do they have and how much are they going to spend? And, you know, it's just really – the trade deadline is pretty much over in most leagues, so, you know, that's that. But um, the Angels have come back to win, come from behind 34 times this year, and, like – 
they've done it seven times when they were more than four runs, four or more runs back. It's like that's it's it's very hard to do when you're four or more runs behind. You come back. They've done it seven times. That's the most in baseball, and they're come from behind wins. It's nine less games than the Phillies have won all season. So. You know what, Andrea? This Angels team reminds me a lot of the team uh, with the Rally Monkey back in 2002. Yes. Winning the World Series. I have a Rally Monkey hat. Oh, here. We have a question here from E-Rush. Um, yeah. Drosian or Vizcaino, rest of season? Well, that's the problem. I mean, obviously, Vizcaino, I would probably choose him first. Vizcaino, wouldn't you? Uh, based on durability purposes, yeah. Well, not only that, but obviously now we're seeing that he's not going to pitch Cam Bedrosian more than he has to. And so if he feels like there's anybody else that can get the job done, he's going to do it. Um, in Atlanta, I think that Vizcaino has the job. I, I mean, you can only say that until they don't have the job. It's so frustrating right now. Like, I picked up last week. I mean, there's Blake Trinan who got the job for a minute. You got... Uh, it's there's so many closer carousels going on right now. It's it's really bad. Matt Belisle is another one. What you know? I well, pick- let's let's segue into um, Trevor Hildenberger on the Twins. Okay. He got a save yesterday. We're talking about saves and carousels. Um, obviously, for fantasy purposes, his only value to you is going to be um, if he gets a save opportunities. He got one. I think it was yesterday or Saturday. Um, if you look at him overall. He has had a lot of success in the minors. Obviously, we know it's different, but he's um, experienced closing in 2014, 15, 16, and 17. He's always averaged more than a caper inning. He's kept the ball in the ballpark, allowing no more than two in any of his professional seasons. Um, okay, yeah. And if you look, if you look at the minor league stats, and I know, again, it's minor league stats, but four minor league seasons, career 1.57 ERA, 0.88 whip. So he's been very consistently good as a reliever in the minors. Yeah, yeah, totally. I agree. So that is definitely the, the that's the problem with Matt Belisle, who you just thought was going to be the closer, and uh, they say that he's still in line ahead of Hildenberger, but um, all we really have to go by are Hildenberger's minor league stats because we haven't seen him in the major leagues, right? I mean, this is it. So he's been great. He. Like you said, he's had saves in, at every level, but the AAA level, he had six saves. He hardly spent any time there. Where has this guy been? Because he's 26 years old. Where did he come from? I have no idea. Either way, it doesn't matter. He struck out three out of the five, faced five batters. He got the final four outs, which I absolutely love. So they relied on him for more than they rely on Chapman for, which you've got to really like that, right? Well, you have to laugh your ass off at that because he's what probably making the league minimum right now and Chapman's getting like 18 million dollars a year and this guy can go for four outs he struck out 20 he has struck out 26 and walked only three okay you got to think that Belial's job is on the line especially since Matt Belial is freaking almost 40 years old okay he's not this is not somebody that just came around and like is getting better this guy is uh he's been around since for who knows he's 37 so there you go he's had like seven saves in his entire career and he's not a closer so um even his era is 4.70 so you got to consider the fact that his job is not anywhere near safe and obviously no i'd buy into hilden 
Roethlisberger at this point. He's only 26, and I know it's not necessarily young, but if you're in like a dynasty format or something like that, and you're looking for potential future closer, who else is going to be the guy in Minnesota? He's shown he can do it at every level, as we've mentioned. His numbers have always been good. And the closer job is more than up for grabs there. Not just now, but in, in the future, too. Absolutely, because they have nobody. They have nobody. If, they're, if they got Matt Lyle in there, you know that they're just looking for anybody to get the job back. And Viscayano... I think the job is his right now, but this guy, he, I just looked him up. He's 26. It seems like he's so much older than 26 for some reason. It feels like he's been around forever, and he's never really been that reliable. I don't I don't know how many save opportunities he's had, but he likes to blow saves, and he doesn't have that. I mean, his ERA last year was in the fours. Um, he had nine saves the year before that in 2015, but... You know, that was the only good season that he's ever had that's been under four. This year, he's at 2.34, but you can just imagine that it's going to blow up any day. I just think that he's the closer right now because who else? Jim Johnson, Jason Mott, they're, they have the same issue. They're both old, and they both are not closers. Yeah, I mean, Jim Johnson's done it before, but he's not anyone I'm willing to trust either. Um and if, if you're really looking for saves, you're in trouble because it seems like you're going to pick somebody up. And then within five, seven days, someone else has the job. I know. It's really bad right now. And, you know, I probably say this every year, but it feels worse. The closure carousel feels worse right now than than ever. I mean, in Chicago, you got Juan Mania as the closer. Do you know Juan Mania? I don't. I just know that they somehow Tyler Clifford keeps finding jobs. Well, That's all I can say. I, you he know, got moved to the Astros, which opened up the spot for this whoever Manaya guy. So and and Clippard is the closer somewhere, right? Wasn't isn't he the closer, or maybe not? He was closing for the White Sox until they moved him to the Astros. Oh shit! Yesterday or two That's days ago. just good. So I didn't even see that. That's good. I'm glad we do this podcast so that I and, – and Tyler Clifford is not even listed anywhere near getting a save. He's behind Ken Giles, Davinsky, Gregerson, and then Clifford. So there you go. Yeah, I mean I wouldn't – if I'm a contending team, I wouldn't even put Clifford on the mound. Last week it was like, should I pick up Brad Ziegler or should I, you know, who can't strike anybody out? But he's probably going to get a save or two, and that's the thing about saves this time of season – you're probably going to be able to move up in points if you get a save or two. Like, you're begging for – I'm begging Cam Bedrosian to just get me one save or two saves. And if Matt Belisle can do the same, you know, I'm good to go. That's all you need. So you're just – that's one reason why I think a lot of people are out looking for closers right now because um, one or two saves can make a difference. Well, you know what's so interesting about it is that there's a lot of people that – are like, oh, you know, I don't want to spend big on closers and drafts, but it's starting to look like maybe it's a good idea to go out there and get one of those Kenley Jansons, Craig Kimbrell, Wade Davis type guys because the fact that they do have the job security. Yeah, for today, but when one of them gets I, – I just – I don't – yeah, Wade Davis has a job, but there's like three in base – and there's three or four. You got Aroldis Chapman, you got Wade Davis, Craig Kimbrell, and – Cody Allen, I guess, maybe. Yeah, he was, he's a, you know, he was definitely came into the season as a closer, but not very many. I mean, Kenley Jansen, sure. But even, I Osuna, don't know. Osuna, Osuna on the Jays, I guess. 
So um, you could get them for a few times. Although he's lost it a few times this year, he's still going to be the closer there. It's Edwin Diaz, obviously, with uh, the Mariners. Like there are some guys that have relative security, and it just goes to show how much more important they actually might be. Let's talk about. Let's just. I'm going to go through the the closers that I'm looking at that didn't have the job at the beginning of the season. Sean, uh, I don't think Sean Doolittle. No, Ryan Matson didn't. Then you got Claudio. You got Sam Dyson. Maybe he was the closer in Texas, and then he lost his job. Now he's Dyson. Been... Dyson was the guy, but he was dreadful in Texas. Yeah, Brad Hand, uh, Hector Neris. I don't know if he started out as the closer. I can't remember because it's kind of been a carousel there. But then you got Felipe Rivera, Blake Trinan started out as the closer in a whole other team, and then lost his job. And he's the closer now again. Matt Belial, Brad Ziegler, Bud Norris. All of them, Shane Green, Green, Mania, all of these guys, man, they're just not, they're not reliable. And so I don't even know what to say. Viscayano, I would bid on both of those guys and Hildenberger for sure. You could probably get him for a dollar while nobody's paying attention. Yeah, I'll be honest. I didn't know who Hildenberger was till last night when you said you wanted to talk about him. So I looked him up, started doing some research. I was like, oh, okay. That's okay. I didn't know about him until Lenny told me to look him up. I thought he was a, a starter because there's apparently there's another Hildenberger or something. I don't know. Anyway, maybe that's not – maybe I'm lying. I could be. <laughs> um, so could let's, be. let's go back to the Cardinals for a minute. They they do play the Cubbies seven times uh, before the end of the season, and they each – I mean, the Cardinals have been a lot better at home than they were last season, so that's good, but they have less games at home – uh, from August 14th on, the Cubbies have 26 games at home versus 20 on the road, and the Cardinals, well, they have 19 at home and uh, 20-something on the road. So 25, 25 games. 25 of their last 45 games are on the road. Uh, it, so it's, I don't know. And then against the Cubbies, they're not very good either. They're 4-8 and eight against the Cubbies this season. What do you think about that? Because they play them so many times, and it's like a mental, it, 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 these games matter. Even if they don't matter on paper as much as we're saying that they matter, they matter, like, mentally. Honestly, to me, this division's coming down to, I believe it's the second last series of the year, four games in St. Louis between the Cubs and Cardinals. We will see. They're four and eight against the car, the Cubs, and I don't well, even know. As I mean, long as they're within striking distance, as long as they're within technically, if they're within even four games, which they're clearly much closer right now, if they're even within four games entering that series, anything's possible. The Dodgers have been on fire. I mean, what can you say? The Dodgers are they're they're going to be hard to beat, you know. And they they haven't gone. I don't know. I think it was. It was something in chatter today, and Lenny said it on the podcast this morning about the Dodgers haven't gone. They haven't won less than three games in a week for a long time. Well, I think they've won something like 19 straight series. Jeez, Louise. Yeah. And Clayton Kershaw. 19 straight. Coming back. Let's talk some injuries real quick, and then we'll head out. Um, Kershaw, coming back, and... Of course, if you're a Kershaw owner, you didn't drop the guy, and you're just kind of hoping that you can get, like, one or two more starts out of him. But we were talking about the first-rounders this morning, and it it was quite interesting to me that people are still putting Clayton Kershaw in the first round next year. 
why why is that so interesting to you because of the injury because he yeah because when you have a herniated disc in your back it's basically that these discs they separate the bones from each other and they're full of gel and the older you get the less gel they have in them and so the less cushion that you have between the bones in your spinal cord and when you injure one and you don't have surgery it doesn't just heal on its own i mean it you won't have if you don't be a pitcher and you're not constantly using your throwing motion like so violently like pitchers do then it might not bother you for the rest of your life but there's no possible way and i mean this isn't a guarantee but in my mind I think that there's about a 99.9% chance that Clayton Kershaw never sees 200 innings again. But don't you think that, let's call it 170 innings he'll give you, you still want him? He's that much more valuable than all those other pitchers outside of maybe the Sale and the Scherzer and maybe a Kluber because, because those 170 innings are going to be that good. Because he's not that much more valuable. Look at him. I mean, yes, he's the best pitcher in baseball. He has been for several years. He's a great pitcher. Okay, I, I think that people misunderstand what I'm trying to say. I don't trust in his health, and I don't think that you know banking on 170 innings is a good idea either. Because you never know what at what point of the year it's going. The injury is going to take place, and you never know how bad he could be in surgery the next time it happens. They said. This time, this this injury that he has, they said that it didn't have anything to do with his um, herniated disc, but I beg to differ. When it's your lower back and it's in the same area as your disc, all that stuff works intertwined. I mean, it's not like one – they're not separate from each other. They're, they're all in the same area and they're all related to the lower spinal cord. So you tell me. Does it have anything to do with it? I would like to say that it does have something to do with it, although I'm not a doctor. I It's just – I don't expect him to go 170. I don't know what he's going to do. I hope for the best, but I'm definitely not spending a first rounder on him. Although, I mean, what? Chris Sale probably will never have a season like he did this year. I'm, I just don't really believe in pitchers that early. Clayton Kershaw was an exception because of how good he was, but this is the second year now where he's missed significant time at, because of these injuries, and we don't really know what – he's been throwing off of – he had two out of three of the last days or three out of the four of the last days that he's been playing catch and tossing off in the bullpen. Yeah, he's had, uh, he's had two bullpen sessions. He's thrown off the last round. And by all reports, I read something this morning um, that he is supposed to be back by the end of August. Now, I got to say, and I agree with Paul Martin, who just messaged me saying he's listening to our show. He says that you're nuts. I kind of got to agree. I I'm nuts. a little nuts to say, <laughs> yeah, to say that uh, – Kershaw's still not um, a first-round caliber guy because he's still the number three pitcher. Number three, least. and that's worth – At the very least, okay. he's still the number three starter. Okay. And that is certainly worth a first-rounder, especially with what we've seen from all the injuries from starting pitchers. What if he pitches year. 150 innings? Is that going to be good enough for you? Yeah. With that, 160 with strikeouts and 170 strikeouts, that's good enough for you in the first round? Certainly is, especially with that ERA and whip. And the Dodgers, and the Dodgers behind him. I mean, he still if he if he gives you twenty five starts, let's say, I think he can still win fifteen to seventeen of them, sub three ERA, sub one WHIP, and absolutely. But you're holding on to last. You're holding on. Assuming Andrea that he's going to give you one hundred and fifty innings. What if he does give you two hundred? There's no. He's just not going to. I mean, he's been giving two hundred innings for seven years, and the innings. Guess what? They add up eventually, and you would be. You think that I'm crazy, but I'm not crazy. I will tell you time after time of any pitcher that's 
getting close to 2,000 innings, and they've pitched and pitched and pitched and pitched, it wears on you. And when you turn 30, which he's about to do, and you have a back injury, a lower back injury, trust me, it doesn't go away. It will never go away. And it's only going to get that he pitches less and less. And I hate – I mean, I – I wish the best for Kershaw, but I'm sorry that just the history speaks for itself. Name me a pitcher that's had lower back problems that's pitched over 2,000 innings that continues to come back with lower back problems and pitch more than next year. I, I would like to make a bet right now. I will say he's, he goes 140 innings tops. And it's not it's not a first-round pick. No matter what kind of league that you're in, It's you have to weigh your risk uh with what you think that you're going to get. And what you're hoping to get is what you've had. And, yes, he's a great pitcher when he pitches. But this guy, I'm unfortunately, I think that his best days are behind him. He signed a seven-year contract, okay? He's got a seven-year, $215 million contract extension that he signed in 2014, which means that he's going to go till 2021 – on that contract and they're going to be paying him and they're not going to be, you know, they're not going to be pushing this guy. They're going to have him rest at every moment that they can. And just as good as they are, they've proven this season that they don't, but last year they needed him. He basically carried the Dodgers on his shoulders when, you know, whatever they had, you could thank Kershaw for it. And that's been like that for a couple of years, but now even when he's out, they're still winning games like crazy. So do you think that they're going to try to squeeze 200 innings out of a guy that they owe money till 20, 2022? Well, not this year. Obviously, this year they're going to be very cautious as long as he's back to give them, I'd say, three, four starts before the postseason so we can get back into game shape. But in general, um, as, as long as he fe- if he feels good, he's going to be out there. Uh, okay. So kind of like Noah Syndergaard, he felt fine. Yeah, I mean, but the thing is, these players, these players are stubborn, and if they feel good, they want to be out there, they want to be playing. And they'll pitch through injury sometimes, but without telling anybody that they are hurt, because that's just what they do. Right, so I got donkey teeth sticking up for me. Shout out to donkey teeth, right? It's not crazy, it's actually very reasonable and rational, and I like to be called those two things, so... You know, it's a matter of opinion, and, and I'm, you know what, I the more the merrier that are going to draft Kershaw in the first round, but it's yeah, not going to be me. See, I don't take pitching in the first round regardless, so I wouldn't take him, but I still think he should be taken in the first round for people who do take pitchers that early. So you don't draft pitchers in the first round? No, I never have. So why are you trying to say that Kershaw's a first rounder then? Because I think that's where his value is. I still think he'll go in the first round of leagues. It's just not my my experience. If I'm drafting in the beginning of the first round, I'm not going after a pitcher. And if I'm going in the sec, the latter part of the first round, I'm taking my favorite hitter available. And then maybe with my swing pick, because I'll have an earlier second rounder, then I might go with the starter if there's someone I like still. That, that's just the way I've always done it, and I've had success with it. Everyone has their own opinions and their own strategies. But to me, I'm not a starter guy in the first round regardless. If I was, Kershaw would be on, on my radar, though. Okay, so that's good. I mean, you know, that's what we're here for. We we debate and we disagree, and that's all. We all, I think we, I think there's two sides to this story, and they're both fine. Um, I'm not one for risk in the first round whatsoever. I'm trying to find the guy with the least amount of risk and the most, just the best chance of not taking a crap on me because, um, 
that's just what I find works the best. I mean, I try to limit my risk as much as possible in the first round. So, and because of that, Kershaw's not on the, the list. But let's talk about another first rounder, Bryce Harper, who, oh my gosh, I mean, they could say that he doesn't have any damage to his ligaments or his um, whatever. Yeah, they say tendons. it's, they say it's, um, it's a bone bruise. A Which pass, is, quote, quote are, significant. Well, right. Bone I would bruise. say so. It looked like he. If it, if you would just look at what happened, you would think that he broke his ankle because it just did such an uh, – it was so not natural. They're saying, though, that this is the same type of thing that happened to Mike Trout where the now, it, like I said earlier, there's so much weird stuff going on in baseball this year. Like there's so many not average things happening. But the fact that you – if you look at it, you could see how his cleat like skidded across the base. Um, they're saying that the base is slippery and it's very hard, like more just okay. That well, apparently with this Andrea, like in this specific instance, and well, I want to bring up because on top we know how good Harper is. We know he was in the running for the MVP. He yeah, but five, blah blah blah, all all that stuff. We all know that. The mm-hmm. bigger thing here to me is. And it was brought up by his agent, Scott Boris. Um, it's that the MLB needs to be more responsible for the on-field conditions, especially after an extended rain delay, which is what they had on Saturday night prior to the injury. I don't know if any, everyone listening saw the play, but Harper was trying to beat out an infield single. His foot slid over that wet first base bag, causing him to land awkwardly. He injured his knees. And personally, much of what Scott Boris says in the public usually irritates me and frustrates me, but I have to agree with him on this topic. The players have a right to play on the safest caliber fields that they can possibly play on, and if the conditions due to weather affect their safety, the game shouldn't be played, or they need to do a better job of making sure the bases aren't wet, the field, is, the field isn't overly soaked. Obviously, you can't prevent it from just from not being wet at all, but the cause of the injury very well could have been lack of lack of preparation for the game to restart and not having that base being being dry enough let's say because people run across first base all the time it's probably it's the base that gets the most action and you don't see guys slide or fall like that so clearly there was something wrong with that bag it was too wet well it was definitely slippery and mike trout had the same thing and you know what and earlier in the season buck showalter was all mad because I think it was Buck Showalter. It was a manager talking about, and I don't even know if it was the White Sox, but some team has an electrical box, like, right out by the third baseline. And they're, when you run to catch a ball, like, let's say you're running towards the stands and you slam up against that rail, like, your whole shin is completely just torn up because they, they put an electrical box there, you know? And so it's like, you if you're if there's injuries happening that can be avoided... They should be. I agree with Scott Boris on this, too. I mean, maybe not for the same reasons, but definitely. I mean, they. I don't recall it ever being a problem before, and maybe it's the first time. I can't say, like, oh, this has been called to their attention numerous times, and they haven't done anything about it, so it's hard for me to, like. Did you, Andrea, did you see the injury to yes. the, Yankees, the Yankees' former prospect, Dustin Fowler, before he got traded to Oakland, making his MLB debut before he even gets to having a bad yes. playing right field? The White Sox, there was a rain delay in Chicago. White Sox, um, I guess, didn't maintain the field well, well enough. Freakish injury ended the kid's I think season that was before the, he could even have an at-bat. I think that's the electrical box injury. Um, yeah, it might be. And that injury was nasty. And I hope he comes back. I hope he's a great player for Oakland. But that 
is a joke. Like, yeah, that is that is despicable. Well, there and then the like lights that can happen you, in a I, major league ballpark. The lights don't work in some of the stadiums, you know. I mean, shoot, they're half empty anyways. I don't even know how baseball. I, I don't even know how these teams survive. They charge so much for their tickets, like half the stadium's empty or more. But okay, so Bryce Harper, they say, is a bruise. What do you think is a good timetable for this guy's return? And you know, I, I'm sorry, but just the fact. I'm glad that he didn't hurt, you know, rip his tendon or his ligament or whatever, and he's not going to be on the shelf for the season. But really, uh, how quick do these bone, these uh, serious bone bruises? <laughs> how long do those take to heal? I honestly, I I, uh, I left my med- my medical degree in, in my other pants because um, I I've but, twisted my ankle and me, it's not it's me, if he's back before the last week of September even I would be shocked. But they need him. I mean, if they can get him back at all, this before the playoffs, get him some reps, get him some at-bats, they, they should count their blessings. Because this guy, I know Rendon has been good. He's been very good. I know Scherzer has been fantastic for them on, on the mound. But this team already has tr- troubles heading into the postseason with a lack of um, starting rotation. And to me, I just... I, I just think that without him, they are royally screwed. Losing Harper is a big it's, – it's definitely a big loss. Um, well, so Brian Goodwin, he – first of all, Michael Taylor. Michael Taylor was just activated yesterday from the deal. He had a strained oblique, right? He's been out since the July 7th. But he – in a rehab assignment, he's competed in several games and whatnot. And then you got Brian Goodwin, who was actually taken out of the first game of the doubleheader yesterday – and sat out the second game. Um, I don't really know what how they're going to. I the when we started the show, the lineup hadn't come out. I don't think for the for the nighttime game. There was a couple people I wanted to check to see if they were on, like Arenado. I want to see what what's going on with him because he's another one. What the hell? Um, Lind, Adam Lind, and Michael Taylor. Um, and Howie Kendrick, right? So. Adam Lind and Howie Kendrick have been splitting time. For some reason, they have Lind only hitting against righties and Kendrick only hitting against lefties. And he was Kendrick was sitting out basically only he was only playing when lefties were up to pitch. But he did hit a grand slam yesterday, so maybe that like and and the fact that everybody else is injured too. But the the Nationals have a ton of injury problems. They have just constant and and no depth. Because it and I mean yeah, there's been injuries in that outfield, but remember Taylor is was only playing for a while because of Adam Eden's injury early in the season, and now he has all this pressure falling on him, not only at the plate but in the outfield too, because the outfield now has guys who are either not really outfielders or guys who are not that good in the outfield. So he's playing center field, but he's pretty much playing half of left field and half of right field, plus. Um, he's going to have to pick it up. Not that he's been bad with the bat. He's actually been relatively good. If you look at his numbers. Who, like Taylor? Yeah, look at his numbers for 245. He's doing bats. great. Double it. Yeah, if you double it for a full season, he's a 2020 type of player. Yeah. Close to 70 ribbies and 80 runs. Definitely. So one thing about Taylor that's interesting is that he was probably dropped in a lot of fantasy leagues because with all the DL spots, being taken up this year more so than ever before he's not the kind of guy you're necessarily going to just hold on to on your bench he could have been dropped and then the fact that he was just activated yesterday 
he could be out there. He's a guy that's going to be able to pick up steals for you and hit some home runs, too. So if he's out there, pick him up ASAP. Yeah, so, I mean, I don't know what's going on with Brian Goodwin. I know he's day-to-day. Like I said, he sat out the second game yesterday. Then um, they have Adam Lynn and Howie Kendrick. They're, they play only left field, and really right field is where Harper plays. So Michael Taylor is probably going to be there, but both – Michael Taylor and Goodwin play center and right. So between the two of them, but we don't really – either way, Michael Taylor is an absolute dude. Down the stretch, love him. He's going to get time, especially if he continues to play well. Hopefully his injuries all the way healed. And absolutely Michael Taylor and for sure somebody to watch next year too. Yeah, I mean I think they've been waiting on him for a long time. Um, you want to talk about Aaron Nauto. So – I haven't yeah. been able to find any specific reports on a timetable, which is tru- troubling, of course. No, it's not. Only- it, what I think is it's kind of like not troubling because basically they said there was nothing in the x-rays that said that he – I mean, I don't know what the lineup is tonight. But according – I mean, I'm trying to figure out if I should play him this week. I have a team that – you know, Arenado is a big loss, and if he's not going to play, I certainly don't want him in my lineup. Uh, yeah, well, of course you don't. If, in the weekly, in the weekly leagues, you certainly don't want to start a guy like that. Um, now, yeah, the X-rays came back negative, but it's, let's see, is he in? Before, there's been times before Andrea where he got the X-rays hit hard. Negative. Yeah, the X-rays come back negative, and a guy still hits the DL and misses 20 games. Oh come on, tell me. Okay, so let's see what Colorado's doing tonight. I mean, maybe it's not a broken bone. So no lineup. No. Maybe he can avoid the six weeks because it's not a broken bone. But, but is he going to miss a week? Still a hand contusion, and even if he is playing, let's say five or six days, he might not be the same Nolan Arenado if his hand is still nagging. Yeah, if you see the fingers, injury, hands, wrists, yeah, for a hitter is yeah. very detrimental. You have to have it to hold the bat tight, and um, so yeah, if he's not in the lineup tonight, I'm yanking him. I'm putting someone else in, and I probably will regret it for the rest of my days, but. You know, I'm sure I'll find something better to regret, like not too far in the distant future. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean, the problem with him is that even in fantasy, he's irreplaceable. Yeah. Like, you know, you can't replace this guy. No. He leads the league in uh, in RBIs. And from a real MLB standpoint, forget about the fact that they'll miss his bat. Yeah. This is the Gold Glove Award winner. Um, and I think this year alone at third base, he has 17 defensive runs saved. Like, he is a big part of this team offensively, defensively, in the clubhouse. And, yeah, they have somewhat of a decent lead in the wild card games. But if he misses an extended period of time, they're a team that we know is subject to long periods of losing streaks. And um, without him, if he does miss an extended period of time, they, they, they could see their playoff hopes and dreams uh, dwindle very quickly. This is going to be, I mean, if he continues on the pace that he's on, this will be his third straight season of 130 RBIs. Um, 40, I mean, he might not have 40 home runs, but he, the last two seasons he's hit 40 home runs. And this is the type of guy that I love to find in the first round. This is who I pick. A guy like this that just is always out there, just year after year, <laughs> works for Colorado. I mean, you just can't ask for a better hitter. Arenado is solid. I mean, if he stole some bases, that would be very helpful. But really, the guy is probably one of the most reliable bats in baseball, which I love. So for me, I'm taking him over at Kershaw every day of the week. Oh, yeah, I would take Arenado over Kershaw. Even if I did take pitching in the first round, Arenado would go way before him to me. Arenado, to me, right now, would probably be the fourth guy I take off the board. 
Who would be the th- okay? So the first guy, Trout. Definitely Trout. I think Goldschmidt. You know what? I think Arenado could even move in front of a guy like Mookie Betts or, or Altuve. Um, I think maybe Altuve would be third for me, just because the hits and the steals alone are just there's you know there's just there's he's second to none. Yeah. Um, but Arenado, I mean, Arenado still is slashing 311, 361, and 585. Yeah. He's obviously going to um, have more homers and RBIs than a guy like Altuve. The only, really, to me, why I would even consider him over Altuve is Altuve is going to help you in, in average um, and in stolen bases over Arenado. Obviously, a ton of runs, too. Average, though. At, I mean, they both have. If you look have... at the categories, if you look at the categories, Arenado is going to help you more in three, and Altuve is going to help you more so in two. Because, um, ob- sorry, in, they're both going to help you in three, but Arenado's still going to put up runs, a lot of runs, but the RBIs and the home runs he's going to give you are significantly more than what Altuve is going to be able to give you. What do you think about George Springer next year? Are you one that thinks that he might make the first round or no? Uh, end of the first round, absolutely. I mean, what, what, he, what he did in the first half and before he got injured, um, the power is there, and I mean, the thing about Springer is that we've kind of been waiting for him to break out, and he finally has. And in that Astros lineup, especially with the protection he has, I still think he might only be getting better too. Like this is a guy who could be a consistent like 40 home run, 120 RBI, 100 plus runs type of guy for you. So yeah, I would certainly take him. I, I think it's very possible you'll see three Astros bats in the first round next year with Altuve, Springer, and Correa. Um, so I have one more before we go because I have a huge crush. I have a big crush. Lenny, don't get jealous. Well, Lenny can't get jealous. He already knows I love Aaron Nola. But I really love Aaron Nola. He's number 12. He's the 12th best pitcher in baseball. That's what he's ranked on fan graphs right now as far as war is concerned. But in the second half, uh. He's just – let me pull it up the second half because then he might be, like, in the top five. Yeah, he's number five. It, he's number five best pitcher in baseball in the second half. And I have a feeling that if I don't talk about him too much and I make Lenny be quiet about him, that he's not going to go – like, I don't know how much people are going to draft for him next year. Like, is his name, like, high up there, kind of the same as Severino? They're both really good pitchers. And um, I just don't see them – in the rankings until somebody like me and Lenny like goes around and spouts off about him all over the place. And then well, all you have a chance, you have a chance with Nola because he doesn't pitch in New York. Like Severino's broadcasted everywhere because he pitches in that big market. Yeah. Nola pitching, pitching with the Phillies, them being a bad team. He could fly under the radar. He's amazing. He's a great pitcher, fun to watch. I wish the Phillies were a better team. I wish, I mean, Odubel Herrera has been good. I wish this team could get their shit together and actually play and gel like a real team because they have good pieces on this team. And it's just not normal seeing Philly so low on the totem pole. Well, Andrew, I think we talked about it two or three weeks ago on my Wednesday baseball show. And I, oh. I think I said something along the lines of maybe, maybe next year the Phillies could be this year's Brewers or Twins or one of those teams. Like, you look at their team, like, there's a lot of young talent there. And if their pitching rotation is healthy, it could also – it could surprise a lot of people. And Their division is not that strong. Well, I mean, they're the, they're freaking – they're the National League East. I'd say they're pretty strong over there. They got – I mean, 
I guess not. With the the Mets were supposed to be good, but the Mets are just a, such a loser team. Atlanta's going to be good. I give them a s- small amount of time too. They're going to be good again. Yeah, they are, they are, but not outside of Washington. The Nationals no are such really, jerks. They are, but outside of the Nationals, none of those teams really stand out to you as okay. They're going to be in the playoffs. Next year. The Nationals stand out to me as the biggest disappointment in baseball heading into the season. The whole time in the season with Dusty Baker as their man in charge, it's unbelievable. And the fact that they just made bad decisions all year long, even going into the season. They were one bad decision after another, and the Nationals are not going to be able to win. Like eight years ago, I was predicting the Nationals to not be the crappiest last-place team, and I've been watching them ever since, just rooting for them. They don't make good decisions. They're management is ridiculous and they are going to end the season the same way they started the season stupid yeah and they're doomed in the playoffs anyway even when they even when they are healthy they can't seem to win the playoffs before we go you wanted to talk about rajai davis and so oh yeah okay because he's one of those guys he's no longer an everyday player yeah Mm -hmm. but just just in his last six starts are you kidding me the guy steals bases four four runs Six steals in his last six starts. I don't know if what to do, steals, dude. Listen. If you need steals, you need him. He you absolutely needs to have him on your roster. I don't care if he doesn't play every day. When he plays, he runs. Here's the thing. Every time he every time he gets a chance, he runs. And he, it's crazy because he's not young anymore, but he runs like he's 19. But either way, I have him on a team, and a team that I'm competitive in, and I – keep leaving him on the bench because they say you know he only gets to go up against left-handed hitters or pitchers and so every week I look at the schedule and I say okay they're only facing two lefties this week which is like the average of you know most teams only face two lefties and so you think like okay well when am I ever going to get more lefties than this I mean you get two out of five starts or lefties I should put him in and I know and I don't put him in because I got a guy that you know has the potential to steal maybe one base, but he's going to play five days, so I'm going to get runs and all this. And it's not working out for me, dude. It is not working out for me, and I'm on. I'm, I'm serious. I have to figure it out before the game starts tonight, which, by the way, baseball starts at 6 instead of 7, so get your lineup set early. And I've got to figure out what to do with Roger Davis. He steals bases every – I mean, who cares how many games he plays if he steals two or three bases a week, right? Well, that's my philosophy on him. I mean, he – he was owned. He's been dropped, owned, dropped in a number of my leagues, and in um, in my AL only league specifically, where he has even more value because of the fact that you're not always even going to have everyday players filling out your roster. But for me, I was tied. I was tied for stolen bases. I picked up Rajai Davis. Now I have a four stolen base lead. No even kidding. Even if I don't want him for the rest of the year, I keep him for another couple weeks. I build up that lead. Then I drop him for something else I'm going to need maybe to hold my lead for the last couple weeks. But right now, right now, if you need speed, I don't care. Again, we both said if he's not playing every day, so what? When he plays, he runs. And I don't care how old he is, he still runs. So Lenny's bringing up the closer role. Apparently Lenny wasn't here for the beginning of the show when we talked about Cam Bedrosian, but maybe he's talking about Cam Newton. I don't know. Maybe you guys are talking about football in my chat room. I have no idea why anybody would think that that would be a good idea, but okay. I'm just kidding. (laughs) I sound so... Okay, I probably don't even play it off right. 
Yeah, uh, Rajah Davis should go into your lineup because the saves and the stealing, the steals right now, they count for a lot. They make up a lot of, of leeway when you only need one or two to make a difference, you know, those two types of players. Unfortunately, it's very hard to find any kind of real re reliable closer at this point. I mean, I have like eight half closers on my roster, but, you know, whatever. I'm going to get like two saves this week. I have like eight closers. I'm going to get like two saves. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, eight and a half closers is like four and four and um, I guess two fifths closer, so you could be okay. Yeah, maybe, maybe I'll get three saves. Yeah, exactly. So, other than that, do you got anything else? Nothing really. No, I just uh, had a fun as always. Yeah, it was a lot fun. Of good stuff out here. Exactly. And, uh, I guess we'll be back next week. Let's see if I can play this, even though me and you can't hear it. I wonder if the chat room will tell me. And by the way, oh, Vic. go ahead Vic? and yeah, tune out if you have any problem with any kind of foul language. This Montgomery is for, um, pitched the gem. Yeah, five innings, plain. seven Ks, one run, 65 pitches, and uh, he was taken out. Uh, this has got to stop because this is just total bullshit with this fucking pitch count. Okay? From now on, if they're doing good, we leave them in. Till his arm falls off. I want to see a complete game. I want to see a complete game just once in my fucking Yankee career. Don't fix what's not broke. If the guy's pitching good, leave it. Enough of this fucking pitch count. What's going to happen? His arm's going to fall off. He's going to get a disease. He's going to get hives. He's going to get palsy. He's going to get what? What is he going to get? Leave him in there. You, you wrap it up. You put it in ice, you stupid fucking morons. I don't know what I'm going to get with, with, with Patances. That's my chance. You, you're taking your chances with Patances. Chapman, the other Momo. You, it, it's like a, a, a Forrest Gump. It's like a box of chocolates. You don't know what's going to get with these guys. So if the starting pitcher is doing good, we're going to leave him in. And that's that. There's no we can do. That's mind-boggling. Mind baseball has become a politically correct game. Montgomery pitched the gem. Five innings.